hey, just jumping in here quickly because I'm really excited to share that I've just launched something brand new. It's called the Smell Gym. This is the place to exercise your sense of smell. I've got online classes for everyone, no matter your ability to smell or not to smell. As you know by now, I'm really passionate about our sense of smell, and I want everyone to have the healthiest, most robust ability to smell possible. I invite you to go to my website, smellgym.com, and check out what might be the best fit for you. I'm Frauka Gallia, and this is An Aromatic Life. This is part two of my conversation with master perfumer Christophe Lada Miel. In this episode, we're going to talk about the art and artistry of perfumery. There are a lot of fun topics we discuss, including what it means to be a perfumer, creating fragrances, and also scent sculpting. And what's great is that Christophe gives interesting insights into his approach for creating. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So in part one, I told you all about Christophe's many scientific contributions to perfumery. Well, let me spend a moment telling you about his incredible portfolio as an artist. Here are just some of the many things he's done. Christoph has co-created top 10 fragrances for major houses such as Polo Blue for Men by Ralph Lauren, Happy Heart by Clinique, Fierce by Abercrombie & Fitch, Dead of Night and Melt My Heart by Strange Love NYC, and other scents for the likes of Beyonce, Helena Christensen, Tom Ford, Burberry, Michael Kors, and Tommy Hilfiger. In 2010, he founded Dream Air, which is an innovation-driven perfumery startup where he concentrates on designing refined scent sculptures for major hotels, retailers, and museums around the world. And Christoph is the only perfumer worldwide with scents entered officially in collections such as the International Perfumery Museum in Grass, Harvard University, and the Cleveland Museum of Art. And he's the only perfumer represented by two art galleries, Dylan and Lee in New York City and Miyanki Gallery in Berlin, which has led to five solo shows in three years. He also created and scent jockeyed the 30 plus scents for the scent opera Green Aria at the Guggenheim Museums, both in New York and Bilbao. And with colleague Christoph Hornitz, he created the 15 cents for the book and movie Perfume the Story of a Murderer. We'll talk about that more in the episode. Christoph has also done air sculpture designs and workshops for the World Economic Forum in Davos, an Elton John candle, the Jason Wu Orchid Rain candle, Orchid Delirium for the Royal Botanical Gardens in London, and the first olfactory retrospective at the EU Parliament in Brussels. He installed two self-alternating scents for the Istanbul Museum of Modern Art Biennial, two scents at the Culture Museum in Basel, and five scent sculptures inside the U.S. Pavilion of the Venice Architecture Biennial in 2014. He's known for his avant-garde work and establishing a trail of signature high-end and surprising fragrances of all kinds. I hope after listening to this episode, you'll go to the show notes and check out some of his creations. They're incredible and very innovative. If you haven't listened to episode seven, which is part one, the science and education of perfumery, I encourage you to start there before listening to this episode. And if you're ready for part two, then sit back, grab a favorite beverage, maybe play your favorite scent in the background and enjoy our conversation. 
Hi, Christoph. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, hi. Nice to see you again. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. You're looking good. Looking good. <laughs> um, this is part two. We talked about doing a two-part series. Uh, one side that was mo mostly focused on the science and the chemistry of perfumery. And today we want to talk about more of the art side of perfumery. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I want to start with something a little bit more abstract. So when most people think of art, they think of paintings, visual creations that you find in museums. And they might possibly even think about musicians and the music they compose. But I would argue that a perfumer, and tell me if I'm wrong, that a perfumer is often perceived quite unfairly as an artisan, someone who makes things by hand, but not an artist, someone who creates art, which is more of an expression of human creative skill and imagination. So in fact, in a recent Instagram post, I don't know if you remember this, I'm sure you do, but you said perfumery is one of the very, very rare arts whereby no, zero, null, physical dexterity is necessary. It is purely a work of the mind, right? You said that? Yes, and totally. So let me ask you two things about that. So how do you define art and perfumery? And how would you even define a perfumer? So uh, first of all, to answer your very, very first question in the paragraph, when you say, I don't think if perf uh, uh, people would think of perfumery as an art or it would even come to their mind, but for most people, they would not even think of perfumery period. So that's the number one problem. They should be able, hopefully soon, when we ask them to talk about arts, they will mention music and paintings and sculpture and perfumery. I hope that they will put perfumery uh, up there with the rest because that's where it belongs. And when we talk about the science of perfumery, it would be like talking about the physics of music or the coloration of paintings or the pigments. In fact, painting, it's only about chemistry. I have to tell you, the canvas is chemistry and uh, the pigments, the colors, it's pure chemistry. So now even the brush, unless you use animal product, but otherwise the brushes are also pure chemistry. So, uh, but people don't see painting as chemistry. It's not what comes to their mind. And so it should be exactly the same for perfumery. And if people know the artistic activity of perfumery, then the rest will be kind of, will be just running in the background, just like for painting and sculpture. Sculpture is also, it's material chemistry and physics. So, uh, that's how people should see it. And uh, so it's not perfumery is a science and perfumery is an art. Perfumery is an art period. Music is an art period. But, and now coming to your definition of art, um, what do you do when you, art for me is a matter of expression, is the communication, is uh, either to create a message for yourself or an emotion for yourself or a relief for yourself or for others. You may have a message to transmit or you don't care at all you just like to do something for you and Wait, so I, it doesn't yeah, matter can i say something because i think our we have a mutual friend the artist Catherine haley epstein she even said art is translation i thought that was nice that's fabulous so for me art is translation of uh emotions uh, so transmission or translation, uh, just as a, you translate from uh, in another language, but it can also be a translation or a figurative object. Huh? So when someone takes a picture or photograph or paints a picture of a pipe, we say this is art. And it's the same with the perfumery. If I create a nice tobacco note, this is also art. 
And just like what's now, what's the difference between, um, let's say, between making some pipes uh, on the line in a factory and then sculpting a pipe in a very certain way? Or what's the difference between just taking pictures for a catalog of pipes and then painting a pipe a la Magritte? So there can be a whole debate, there can be a whole class dedicated to where those crafts, uh, where does just mechanical stuff start? Where uh, then does the craft start? And then when, where does the art start? And we have this debate in any discipline, correct? Is, um, of, uh, let's say, uh, interior design at IKEA, is that craft? Is that just whatever? I put a board and I put two feet and then four feet it's a table and two feet it's a shelf. Uh, is that craft even? Some might be craft and some, or is that art? And so some people would say, yes, yeah, art for the wedding room at the doctor's office. You know, that's <laughs> what I call this art for me. It's the duty-free, uh, the perfumery at the duty-free. So that's the picture you buy at Ikea and you put in the doctor's office. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's the music. No, music is a, uh, the music you have in hotel lobbies at times. I don't even know where they get their music from, but it's terrible. This typical hotel lobby music, you know, it's from nobody yeah. and it's just generic. So, voila. So, is that a craft? I guess it's a craft. Is that an art, that music? I, I, I think most people would say, no, give me a break. Right, right. So, what are they translating? Are they really translating an emotion of something? Many times, no. They just have this music in the hotel to keep people calm and to be generic so that it does not offense Muslim people, does not offense Jewish people, does not offense my mother, so that the music <laughs> is only pure words, you know, no, yeah. no uh, uh, vulgar words in there, so that it doesn't offense this person and that person, you know. So what is that? Is that art? Well, usually we would say no, not really. Maybe a craft to design this kind of music. You know, what's interesting is that I was just thinking that when musicians are introduced, a lot of times they'll say musical artist so-and-so, musical artist, this and that. But you never hear somebody say perfumer artist, Christophe Ladamien. So exactly. But I would say number one reason is people don't even think of perfumers. Number two reason yeah. is then we always have this discussion, is that an art or a craft? Number three reason is what you mentioned at the beginning, which is, uh, I think I'm the first one who said that ever. Have we noticed that perfumery requires zero, zero uh, physical dexterity? And that's working against us because it means perfumery is only an activity of the mind because the physical um, uh, dedication you have to have is only to mix. Uh, and so that's turning against us because people don't see the artistic activity and what they see is only mixing in a pot. And so they say, oh, it's just a craftsmanship. This blending, well, I hate the term blending. Don't talk to me about blending for perfumery. You can, anybody can blend, but only perfume composers. Um, it's like in music, uh, it's easier to mix uh, music than it is to compose the music. So let's talk about being a perfumer. So in, if, for those who are interested in understanding how Christoph became a master perfumer, that's in a previous episode in the science podcast episode. So feel free to go back and look at that because I want to spend our time talking today more about a question that 
you, I think, get asked a lot, right? Is how do you become a perfumer? If you want to start off in perfumery, how can, not how you did it, but how can a person become a perfumer if they wanted to? Yeah, so uh, in terms of uh, major education, there are only, let's say, two schools, two formal schools in France, Lisipka uh, and USP, one in Versailles, one in Paris. There's a smaller school, but it's only nine months. So there's so much you can do. It's like learning the piano in nine months. There's not much you can do, but it's still mm -hmm. a good start, which is a jeep in grass. Then, uh, and then there are a few programs that are more linked to marketing, or they are more linked to, which would be FIT, for instance, or they are more linked to uh, chemical engineering, like extracting plants, which would be in Montpellier in France, and I think in Le Havre. I think in Plymouth, they also have a certain aspect but really composing a perfume, it's only these two and a half schools so far. Uh, you have some little programs online. You have Saint Kim Sans, but you know, it's one weekend here, one weekend there with just a few ingredients. So the, the uh, and then otherwise is to get into perfume houses, but they recruit two, three, four people a year. So it's a very, very, it's still very hard. Huh? So that would be a certain curriculum. And if people are, uh, that are interested, they should interview people that went through those curriculums to see how they can get into that. It's like, if you want to be a Broadway dancer, what you do, you come to New York and then you, that's true. Huh? Yeah. You talk to the dancers on Broadway and their coaches and they tell you how you can be a, a Broadway dancer. And then you go to those same classes or those same auditions or so you have to be interviewed. One good thing is to do internships in labs. So try to have an internship is to have a foot in the door. So it's extremely important in perfumery, even more than any other discipline. So if you can get internships, summer internships in any lab anywhere or any factory anywhere of perfumery. And when I say anywhere, that can be anywhere in the world because there are factories of perfumery everywhere in the world. And there are plantations everywhere in the world. There, are, uh, there is uh, agriculture everywhere in the world and, and also factories where they compose the fragrances. So on all continents. So there, if you do an internship already, that's a nice start. Last thing I want to say though, is uh, for everybody, when you're really interested in perfumery, it's not just collecting the flacons at home, uh, in fact, I was not doing this at all. Huh? So a bit like if you're a musician, you don't have to collect all the CDs or all the songs in your iTunes, sometimes yes, but some, you have to get specialized in certain things. That's very important. But also you have to smell and you have to learn the notes. So I say one thing that I mention all the time is people have to learn to compare and to learn to smell. And for this, you don't have to buy, to do a big perfume collection. And in fact, you should learn first from simple notes. It's like the piano, you know, you go like this, like, like, like one note at a time. Uh, or if in painting, you do some colors, you mix some colors, you do some studies, black and white, and you really learn the, to smell. And how do you do that? It's like each time you buy something, and for instance, food, especially food, because you buy that every day. So me, when I go to a store, I never, I never buy only one coffee, never. I never buy one tea, I always buy two or three. And then I compare them and then you will see the differences. Once you see the differences, your brain registers them and then sees them in some other coffees that you would buy. That's how it works. Uh, if you're not into coffee, you're into kombucha, try different flavors, buy three kombuchas and then try them side by side. Uh, it can go, I can go on and on, buy some fruit, same, I always buy, 
And so I don't like, I just trash them. And, and I call that is the cost of training. So it's not that it's expensive. If you're a jeweler, it's much more expensive. You have to buy a bit of gold, a bit of sapphire, a bit of copper, and then you have to have your own atelier to build stuff. So it's the cost of training. It's your profession, which is weird. You buy two shampoos and one probably you will end up giving into someone else because you didn't like it, but it was for your training to understand uh, what people uh, call a passion fruit shampoo. And then you will see that it doesn't even smell of passion fruit, but <laughs> it teaches you. <laughs> But it teaches you this, the smelling, first of all, to put your nose everywhere. So this has to become uh, natural. This has to become automatic. Compare, compare, buy different kinds. Even if people say you're crazy, you say, no, no, but I also want this one. Yeah, but no, it's not really for people. It's not really for the public. I don't care. I want some of that. Okay, okay, okay. Voila. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to add, aside from that, is tell people what it means when somebody says fragrance house, do you have any idea where that term came from? So this is, uh, so this is my personal uh, uh, take on this. Uh, I've never asked someone, I, I would ask someone in France because uh, I think that's where it came from. Uh, I think uh, perfume house, maison parfumerie. So I think it's a pure translation of Maison Parfumerie. And in France, a Maison is like a whole institution. So you, you say La Maison Dior, ah. La Maison Chanel, La Maison Si, La Maison Balmain, La Maison Lanvin. And you don't say La Maison Nike. You don't say La Maison Adidas. You see, that right. doesn't work. <laughs> La Maison is a whole institution. It's very luxury. It's very... You know the craft and, and the, bon, uh, for the fashion, is that a craft or an art? We can also debate on that, but there's a whole, uh, there's a whole thing eh? around one person, around the family. And bon, maison means a house in English. And um, I think then when you had the so-called fragrance houses, but when you had companies that started to host, to house uh, perfumers, so ah. people say they call them maison de parfumerie because they were hosting perfumers. So like Firmini, Chaifev, Givaudan. At the time, they had many other names. Chiris, uh, you see, they had family names, many of them. Yeah. Many of those names. So we would say la maison Chiris, la maison. And so I'm thinking that's where it is. And to, voilà. and we call in the métier, in the profession, we call maison parfumerie, fragrance house, IFF, Firminich, Roberté, Givaudan, those houses, Takasako. Eh? So L'Oréal is not a fragrance house. They don't host perfumers. Uh, Coty is not a fragrance house. Uh, Interparfum is not a fragrance house. So we really call those houses that actually own the art, the artistry, the making of, the, the, that's the maison. All right, so here's another question for you. So let's talk a little bit about creation now in an artistic sense, right? Uh -huh, so uh -huh. I'm gonna use your favorite word, but you tell me why it's your favorite word in sarcastic terms. <laughs> tell people how it works when you get a what brief word? and you're asked to create ah! that word brief. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my, my hair goes already like this. If it if was in a podcast, you there, my hair would be like. My hair is sticking straight up at the moment. So when oh I start the word brief. Yeah. <laughs> like my mohawk goes like up. Yeah, your mohawk is more of a mohawk, yes. 
Yeah, we're going backwards, you know, like when a bird is getting on nervous. <laughs> yeah, and you key. Yeah. So I don't know why people, well, I could, yeah, I know why actually. Uh, people say a French project starts with a brief. So I'm going to tell everybody, do you say a painting project starts with a brief? Yes, if you paint your toilets, you're going to start with a brief <laughs> and saying, I want white, it has to be non-flammable and non-toxic and voila, okay. Yeah. Do you do you think Beyoncé and Lady Gaga start, they start with a brief? You see what I hate brief? It's terrible. I, I, I hate that term. Now, if you are an architect and you're building as a function, and that's why I think some, I think we use the term brief. So that's for commercial perfumery that have to have a function. So this is already away from art. You're back into a craft. Yeah. And, and, and architecture is, uh, people forget, the architect is seen as an artist. But people forget that the architect does not have the safety liability. The engineering firm. So what happens if the architect goes and draws by hand and, and all these, uh, you know, fabulous artists. Very creative. Yes. And then what happens, they give the model or the, the inspiration or sometimes they build very well. Also the architect, they know a little bit about safety. But in fact, they send all that to an engineering firm like uh, Arup, like I don't even know their names. People don't even know their names at all. Huh? And those engineering firms are going to say, okay, no, this, you cannot have this curve because that's going to collapse on people. Or this, you can, we cannot do this because the, the, the material does not exist. So people forget there are two different things. And so in painting, you don't really need that unless you want a painting that resists the weather. So then usually paintings in galleries are not paintings that resist the weather. Or you do a mural, but the mural, you could say there's a little brief, but people don't say there's a brief for the mural because the brief is basically, it has to stay on this house. It might say we don't want any porno, porno pictures. And it might say the paint has to withstand the weather in uh, Vancouver, Canada, or the weather in uh, Lagos, Nigeria. Well, right, so, right. And, and the paint cannot be toxic, that if, if the water goes on it, <laughs> right, then right. there is lead going down the sewage of Lagos or the sewage of Vancouver. Well, but we don't really say a brief, we could say some, a few technical requirements, okay? So now, because people are so ignorant about the rest of perfumery. People don't know how to be inspired by perfumery. People don't even know the ingredients, but even within, within the, the, the profession, you should see yeah. how we create perfume. It's totally different from creating a music. I'm sorry, it's totally different. And so that's why I'm like, no, to start a project, you don't need a brief. In fact, you have thousands of people in the, profession that would be very happy to tell you oh you forgot that on your um, inspiration for the perfumer uh, you forgot to say what color the juice should have well, and then in fact this is cheesy because most of the time from the color uh, if you're really an artist is the last thing you mention because it has a lot of restrictions so when we say oh uh, when I see a brief that's very complete it, it moves very much away from artistry so it becomes a very commercial brief. It's H&M that says, oh, I want a white t-shirt that people can wear 10 times and then, you know, they all fray and then they all, you put them in the garbage. Uh, or they might say, you know, that t-shirt has to be thicker or that t-shirt has to withstand temperature for skiing. And then that's it, it has to be white and it has to feed everybody from, uh, 
from, I don't know, uh, 60 pounds to 200 pounds, voila. So then um, uh, in, in weight, uh, so uh, 30 kilos to uh, 200 kilos uh, for the people. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. see why I, I hate brief because it's moving perfumery away from the artistry and also it's the way from non-artistic people, half of them ignorant, to teach, to, to show their expertise, like per, per, per the name in the air, to, to, to show their expertise to people that know nothing and say, oh yeah, you have to start with a brief. And then the next thing they say, and I'll end on that, because you know, talking to a perfumer, it's not everybody that can talk to perfumers. They're very special people. And if you don't talk to them the right way, they might not like it, or they might not understand you. I find it so arrogant. And so yeah. it's terrible. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah, yeah. So, voila. You don't create with a brief, that's clear to me. So, well, I, I, no, that's not true. I, first of all, <laughs> I created with briefs because I did a lot of fragrance uh, that were based on briefs. And now when clients come or when people come and they want to think, they don't call it a brief. They say, so we want to start a project. So some ask me if I have a typical questionnaire. I'm like, are you crazy? Because after the second question, it won't be appropriate anymore. There is no, if you do something custom made or really, with an inspiration, the questionnaire, as I say, after question two is inappropriate because you are going to, to a very different territory where you cannot have the normal question that you ask usually, whatever that is. So that's one thing. And then they don't come with the first thing. The fragrance has to be between $50 and $100 a kilo. And the first, uh, we, wanted, we, we want to have a blue juice, by the way, and then the juice color changes in the middle of the brief. So then it's like, whatever. Or there's one say it's for the women that's been doing, you know, it's just generation Y, they're between uh, generation Z, they're between 18 and 22. And, uh, you know, they, they're independent, but they love to have someone at their side. And well, these are the briefs and huh? people should know. Can you imagine, can you imagine Elton John trading for something like that? Can you imagine Chris Brown trading for something like that? This is for the little girl that is 14 to 18 and she loves rap music, but uh, but this, but that. Man, no, we don't, we don't right. get inspired uh, this way. You see yeah. what I mean? You don't yeah, trade yeah. any groundbreaking thing. No, it's a good point. Very good point. So in your opinion, what makes a good perfume? How do you know when you as a perfumer have made an impact? In your opinion. How do I know? All right, how do I know you made an impact? Well, it can be on the impact you see on the one person for whom you created the fragrance, or on the one person to whom you give a fragrance that was not created for them, but you you give it to them. And uh, it can be a fragrance, a smell, or whatever. And then to see how they react, this is quite fabulous, I have to say. It's fun. Or, That's the best uh, part, probably, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. That's probably the best part is just getting their reaction. Yeah, so for me, it's, uh, it's uh, I would say half the time is the reaction of the people and half the time is my satisfaction. So these are the two things that uh, drives me or that I, I love very much. Uh, well, and I should say the third thing is to use things that I've not used before in terms of ingredients or in terms of quantities and or to, to create orders I have not created before, which happens all the time. So these are um, these three things are totally equally fascinating for me. Sometimes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know some perfumers like more one style. Some perfumers, they like to create only for other people and they see like one new person a day, some people. 
Wow. I could never do that. It's too involving for me. But, you know, they are very different style or very different. Yeah. And then um, uh, now another impact, of course, if you make a fragrance, you smell it on the street. People don't know you. You don't tell them who you are. And then but you just know they're wearing this thing. And then sometimes they even tell you stories about the fragrance and they don't know you created it or uh, well, making an impact. There are many. And another impact that is not um, uh, benign is when you use ingredients and you know the farmers that are making these ingredients. So ah. this has quite a bit. And so then you go back and you say, well, the ingredient here you're extracting from that tree or from that flower, it is in here. And they're like, you should see how they, oh. because it's very rare. Brands never go back to the, they don't even know who the farmers are and never send them a bottle of Aquadigio saying, you know, you have your thing in there. Anyway, Aquadigio are so few natural, forget about it. Anyway, <laughs> you know, people are too far from the farmers or, um, but that's also a big, uh, a big impact. That would be really great if you can show them in a bottle what, what they help. Oh yeah, do that regularly. Strange love. Strange Love NYC, we send we send the bottles, we send a bottle to them and it's like really cool. And um, uh, and this year I'm going to send some of the jasmine candles to the jasmine from Keep Brooklyn, those candles. We have natural jasmine in there, which is like almost unheard of in a candle. And so uh, we send some candles to the Indian farmers there so that they see and it's just a pleasure and just a thank you also, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. So tell me about your your line, which I love, and I, I'll tell you my favorite one is uh, Everlasting. It's in the zoo. Tell me about your the zoo brand and the line. Like, how did you come up with that? So the zoo. Well, uh, some of the fragrances are created for me uh, during the years. Huh? Like you can see, some uh, the the date of the creation of the formula is on each bottle at the back of the bottle. So if you look, there's a date there, a copyright date. That's when I created the formula. So some are like 2003 or 2013 or whenever I had some inspiration and I didn't have the zoo in mind. And then I didn't even want to create something with my name on it. It's, it's kind of weird for me. I, I cannot imagine, a, well, doesn't matter. So, and then when they said, you know what? I need to do this. Otherwise some things will never go on the market. Some things I can never show because I always want to show some special things. Sometimes it's too special, sometimes it's too weird in smells or too weird in concepts or too, um, or like I have some fragrances that are forbidden in China or forbidden in Canada to show how their laws are totally cuckoo, which <laughs> things are very safe even, yeah, 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 yeah. China, too much citrus, too much natural citrus, you're forbidden in China, too much of a note that you find natural in jasmine, you're forbidden in Canada. So it's like, boom, uh, <laughs> but this is just, a, on the side. So I wanted to launch uh, and in a fun way. So the zoo line, it's inexpensive, uh, $109 uh, a bottle uh, without tax, before tax, and 60 milliliters, and concentration of EDPs, uh, voila. And I really um, wanted to make it approachable, good perfumery, interesting, fun. Uh, the labels have a lot of personality. And uh, I call it the pop collection that pops. Voilà. So I really yeah. want people to explore the pop collection that pops. To explore. It says it all basically. Huh? Yeah, voilà. yeah. Colorful, uh, fun. I don't take myself seriously. The categories, you see, if you give a brief 
many people would tell also the category. So we would like a fresh floral for this brief and that, 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 that. You didn't have to no, do that. This me, is for you. This is for you, right? Yeah, but no, the category is because I'm like, you know, I don't go to a store saying, oh, today I want a fresh floral, but you could. <laughs> for me, I put them in fresh, sexy, forbidden, and raw. So but I will explain the categories another day, but it's just like, uh, easy to navigate and that's great and, uh, yeah 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 i mean you guys should so the website is um i'll put it in the show notes too but the website is the zoo.nyc correct correct right and i'll put that in the show and notes. there's a zoo guy so because every fragrance for me is like a creature right? uh, so it's like an animal uh, uh, you have to uh, care for the animal because the formula is like an animal. You have to store the ingredients constantly to make that perfume. Eh? So it's not like music. You put it on iTunes uh, and then it's there or in Spotify and then it doesn't move. You don't have to attend your song That's every month yeah. or every year. Then the safety changes, the this, the that. So it's the same. And then you have some animals that are very dark, some animals that are very friendly, some are, and it's just like a perfume. So there's a zoo guide where I mentioned some interesting facts about to, uh, how to wear fragrance or some interesting facts. And there is a zoo police, because you know, in America, there's a police, there's a Harvard police, the MIT police, the, the, uh, the, train, uh, the train police the metropolis, the, we don't have such thing in, in Europe. There is no university police. That would be the revolution in Europe. There is no such thing as the post office police. Can you imagine the post office police in France? People say, are you cuckoo? So, uh, so there is a zoo police and with a code of ethics, for instance, and other things we don't do at the zoo. Voilà. Tell us about that. Tell us about the perfumery code of ethics. So you started that last summer. Yeah, so I've had that on the zoo. I've had that from the, from the beginning of the zoo, 2017, ah. from the beginning. And then last summer, I said, okay, now it's time to ask other people to subscribe to that. Okay. Because, unlike, you know, music is regulated by copyright laws, at least. And then music, the guild of the musicians, like the society of the professional musicians, whatever they are called, or the society of the Broadway dancers, there's a society of, you know, there are professional societies. They also have their own uh, rules uh, to bid or just to be cautious. Uh, and, uh, well, and some things don't steal the work of others. And if you borrow something, you bring it back or whatever it is, the, the, what you're doing. Huh? And the perfumery industry has zero uh, code of ethic applied to perfumery. So there is a code of ethic, which is the typical one that all the corporations have, you know, uh, equal opportunity, equal this, equal that, and then uh, half of it, uh, they have to, you know, <laughs> uh, diversity, boom, they're fixing it now. But basically they had the corporate one, but there was nothing for perfumery. So people copy left and right, people write bullshit descriptions. So even I cannot smell what's inside. And because people smell and say, but I don't really smell the jasmine, anything they cannot smell themselves. Yeah. So that's terrible. And I say, no, it's not because you cannot smell. Uh, no one can smell it. They're so little just to say it's in there, but it's much too expensive. Yeah. Or it's not even in there. 
So it's like you just give an inspiration that is whatever. So all this, I want to clean all that because this is not cool and it's losing people, it's using their ignorance. I hate when journalists get free samples and then they sell them on eBay. What is that? What is that for an ethics? This is terrible. Right. I hate it when a perfume critic writes about a fragrance but doesn't say that he or she was invited all paid uh, to whole trips to India from Europe or from the US all the way to India for a week to for the launch of one perfume. So they forget to say that. So of course the, the critic is very nice. Right, but they've had a nice trip. Be, <laughs> they've had a nice one week. Hello, and they want the next one for the next launch. Right, right. So of course, because the French industry would never pay a critic that has criticized you before, they would not invite you again. They are so right. powerful. I mean, so it's not powerful. We're a tiny industry. We're tiny. So people, you know, if you're a critic of the Wall Street Journal, you are not allowed to be paid a one-week a one vacation in San Francisco by Apple. There's no way so that you can critique the, the new iPhone. There's no way that would fly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So voila, all this is in the code of ethics of perfumery. And if you do, that's also okay. But then you say, I was invited by Apple. It was really cool. We went to all the clubs in San Francisco. And... Perfumery, we went to all the three Michelin star uh, restaurants and we stayed in that luxury hotel and they picked us up in a limousine and we went to the Nana and then Jean-Paul Gaultier was there to show us the fragrance and well, so then if they explain that, well, then they can do a critique, which would be also okay, you know, but right, 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 it's cool, yeah, yeah. Do you know off the top of your head what the different pieces are of the code of ethics? The different rules? Because they're kind of in buckets, right? There's, yeah, the different rules. Ah, no, but one, the first one is you're not, if you borrow the work of someone, basically, if you do a remix, like in music, if you do a remix, you mention at least the original uh, musicians. And then, in fact, there's even a royalty system in music, which we have not install, uh, installed in perfumery yet. But we are working first on the recognition of copyrights for uh, perfume creations. Then, but they, they were the ones I was mentioning right now. Eh? So one is about doing descriptions that are, that are actually descriptive and not deceptive. So an emotional description is totally fine but not deceptive where it shows that you use the ignorance of the public, plus you exploit the farmers and the chemists saying you have these beautiful molecules or these beautiful naturals. And in fact, you have very little to known. And it's just to use the marketing of the rose from uh, Morocco more than actually helping the farmers in Morocco. So that has to stop. So this is one clause. Another clause is about, as I say, not to resell uh, samples that you've received for free because you're a journalist or, or whomever you are. Uh, well, we have this kind of, uh, we have one where we say we respect other perfumers, like uh, doctors respect other doctors. Uh, we have one, uh, well, I don't remember, we have currently seven or eight clauses and we are going on to nine or 10. It's published on the Zoo website, it's published on the Dreamier website. It's we have about like 30 people that have signed up for it. And so it's on their website. If you put perfumery code of ethic, you will get it. It will show up. Excellent. I'll put that in the show notes as well so people can check that mm -hmm. out. I want to talk about being a scent artist. So I want to go, uh -huh. through, I want to go through some of the amazing projects that you've done. So let's start with how I met you about six, seven years uh -huh. ago in, in the area of 
scent uh, designing, scent sculpturing of major museums, hot hotels, retailers. So tell us about scent sculpting. What does that mean to you? Because a lot of people just call it scent marketing, which is a terrible word. Yeah, it's like you would call music, music marketing. Are you crazy? No, I know it's <laughs> terrible. So uh, I call them scent sculpture. So for people is to, to understand, it's when you do a fragrance, you create a fragrance to be played in the air. So it plays in a hotel lobby mm -hmm. and that should be seen a little bit as the interior decor. But interior decor, there's the music, the sound, there is the look, and there should be the uh, olfactory part. In fact, the nose is as important as the eyes, more important than the ears, to not just to remember something, but to appreciate something, to evaluate the friendliness of the staff, to, uh, if you have to wait, if there's a nice scent, you will feel you have waited less long. Uh, if there's an issue, it will be solved uh, uh, more easily, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, just like a nice decor. Huh? Uh, same, if the, if the chairs are very comfortable, you are going to stay in the lobby much more, or in the cafe or wherever, you're going to stay there much more than if they are not comfortable, and even much more than if, if there are no chairs at all, okay? Yeah. So should realize that it's just it should be part of the natural thing to do when you want to welcome someone or when you are part of a brand so it can be in a store it can be in a hotel and um and so that would be like interior decor which has still a little function was to answer a brand but you don't sell the decor huh? so it's not a perfume to buy you don't buy uh, <laughs> it's part well, they of try the to sell it. it's like yeah. a logo they try to sell it <laughs> So they try, but it's if they uh, we should see it more as a logo. So you can sell also objects uh, because they don't sell that. They sell um, uh, they sell the candle. They sell you know so far they don't really sell the the, the scent in the air. But yeah, as a candle. But it's like you buy the Coca Cola logo. You know you don't have to have the the Coca Cola drink, but you sell objects yeah. which have that logo. So and. Um, so I do a lot of that, and then in the museum or for an opera, or like I did for the Guggenheim and things like that. It's very, um, it's just like a, a music or a, a video. But you know what I like about it? What I like about the word scent sculpting is I, I think about if you were uh -huh. making a sculpture, you're trying to think about the space as well, right? You're looking at the yes. interior of the, so you're sculpting your scent to integrate with the space it's in. I mean, yeah, you can talk all the brand stuff and all that, but at the end of the day, it's the person coming into the experience yes. and connecting with the space, with the colors, with the texture, with the sound. Maybe there will be that god awful music that you were talking about in the background. Hopefully it's better music. And you would, you then, you take a look at all of that. And then from there, you create the scent to match that. Is that correct? Yes, so far we create a scent uh, last, but uh, well, hopefully one day we'll hopefully do the one day first, yes. <laughs> and then they do the decor around it, so that will come, but they are not there yet. But the scent sculpture is really like a sculpture. Some sculptures, sculptures, they are done by themselves. So some scent, for instance, for a museum or for uh, what I do in an art gallery, I also talk about scent sculptures. They are not done for decor. They are just done for uh, the artistic piece, just like a sculpture. 
And like you said, it's in three dimension. You experience the sand in three dimension. You know, when we talk, we talk about the top of the sand or there's a little hole in the sand or it's a bit too spiky and uh, or we want it spiky or yeah. so we really talk in shapes and right? we really see them in our brains i don't know how to explain that but True, it's hard to explain <laughs> yeah. yeah and so so that would be the sand sculpture and then uh it's like uh, in baroque times you wanted to do the sand sculpture for inside the castle it has to fit the walls it has to go around the door so there's a, a technical element to it or it has to fit the decor so that would be the sand sculpture adapted to a hotel. So we can do the different gradations, if you wish, between pure art to design uh, to craftsmanship, which is just make something that smells clean. And that would be the equivalent of a white paint. So white paint, if I paint the hotel lobby in white, no one would say it's art. Right. Unless it's a concept, unless it's Philip Stark, but then he I'm adds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's true. Then but there's, there's more to it. It's not just white paint. And so it's the same, it's exactly the same with scent. We can do a scent, you know, very well. We do some clean scent. These are for me the white paint of, uh, of design, if you wish. So we really have the same uh, gradations from artistic to non artistic, if you wish. So next, I want to talk about your work with art galleries. So you're uh -huh. someone who, who embraces the art world and finds ways to get art museums to consider showcasing scent as an art form, blending scent with visual art. And I just love that you do that. So I wanna talk about a couple of them that you've done so that the listener can really see the amazing work that you've done. Well, they can't see it. Hopefully, I wish they could smell it, but so you're wait, describing. For the, for the art gallery, um, so sometimes there is no visual associated with it. Right? We just talked about the sense culture. So in yeah. the gallery, sometimes it's inside the whole room of the gallery, sometimes just in one corner, really. Sometimes it was only in, uh, uh, in a tent or in a black space inside the gallery. So that is only the sense culture. There's nothing to see, nothing to hear. And then there is what you're explaining now. So I'll yeah. tell you. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the, in 2014, you did an art installation that the, Mianki Gallery in Berlin. Uh -huh. And so that was something you have to describe what it was because I wasn't there, but it's like with scent squares and there was a scent supper menu. What did you do there? Describe what you did. That supper, that was 2018. So the scent square, that's one of the first one we did. And actually we showed it again in, uh, we show it almost every year in Berlin, but also last time they were uh, shipped to Tokyo, like December during COVID. There was an exhibit that uh, opened uh, at uh, in Tokyo to send, to show actually some new sand sculptures, and um, the sand square. So imagine a frame, and when you just in the middle of the gallery, just a frame hanging, if you wish, empty, and the frame is empty, but has a little system, and when you push a button uh, somewhere you have a sand coming inside the frame eh? and it's a dry sand. It's not a sheet, so you're not spraying yourself. It's just scented air, if you wish. And so you want, by smelling that inside the frame, you want to recreate the picture inside the frame, but in your mind, thanks to the scent. So that's one concept. But another concept is you smell the frame, uh, imagine you, uh, you, and then you look at one wall of the gallery where there's a certain picture and you see the scent in a certain way. For instance, uh, the picture is green, you're going to see a lot of lushness and a lot of uh, uh, you're in nature or you're uh, whatever. 
And then you turn around, you smell that same frame, the inside of the frame, but you look at another wall of the gallery. There is a lot of pink and stuff. You're going to see uh, uh, humans, you're going to see something powdery in the same smell. Yeah? Because the smell is, a scent is composed of many notes and you associate your eyes and your nose, they, they work together. So that's also a, a lot of stuff I say about the flimsiness, if you wish, of smelling or the flimsiness of watching things and uh, how things are very malleable. I was going to say flexible. Are, it's, it's more of the flexibility yeah. of scent. Yeah, <laughs> flexibility, exactly. And so it's more, uh, but we have the same when we watch things that we think we've seen them, but we don't see them, but then you can bring them up by showing something else. And you're like, oh my God, I've never seen that there. Um, yeah. So it's the same with scent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we only have one brain, huh? We only have one brain. So this brain does all these tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tricky. So then tell us about your 2009 scent opera, Green Aria, at the Guggenheim Museums. You did it in New York and Bilbao in Spain? Yeah, yeah. So this was in the dark, and the, uh, the scent were the characters. So there was the custom made music, and uh, the the characters were the scent. And there was a little prelude where we were presenting with the screen, the characters to the people. So we say, well, like, this is uh, industrial green and this is meretricious green and this is cold and earth. And so people could smell them one by one to, to remember them. And it was uh, about 30 cents. And believe it or not, people remembered quite well. Wow. You learn the scent very fast. Yeah. And then, we had the opera playing where people could only smell the scent very precisely. And it was like to the second. So it was not a scratch and it was a whole system. And they could, they, with the music, and they could see, they could see the little light dancer coming and then one was really heavy and clunky and then one was a big monster and then, and then the monster is coming back. And then, so, and then there was the, the whore uh, walking around and then, and then, you know, you can recreate by having all these smells coming, going, uh, voila. So that was the Green Aria, the scent opera. Oh yeah. man, I wish people, we could experience that. Lucky for those people. Yeah, who it was a big, Big, big installation, a lot of tubing. I think six kilometers, so like five miles of tubings and wow. a huge truck parked on the on the street with a lot of oxygen tanks. I mean, air <laughs> tanks and, oh boy, it was like, was a I don't know how we did that. Yeah. But now we are miniaturizing. So as a, as a scoop, uh, I'm on a team and we have published a patent application last year. I'm on a team now to have this uh, mounted on your head. So no more air tank, no more compressor in the basement of the Guggenheim that might explode any minute, no more air tank <laughs> to park on the street, no more six miles of tubing. We're talking about uh, three feet of tubing, which is about one meter of tubing, not even, cut in pieces. And you put the whole thing on your head. It's light like a little bird, you don't even notice it to smell during movies, during wellness practices, during aromatherapy classes. Can you imagine they put a little tape and as you're talking, they can smell the lavender or the different kinds oh, of that lavender. That would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah or VR for VR or, um, and it's perfect for things at a distance, you know, because now we know we cannot be in a room and we don't want to, the whole world cannot come to your room now to smell, Frauke, you know? So know. people love to have those, classes at distance, it actually increased 
the world audience. Uh, it was very good for perfumery learning, these uh, Zoom classes, except we need people to smell during the classes, true, otherwise yeah. it's terrible. It's true, it's true. Oh, so I look forward to that coming. Um, yeah. right, and the last one that I want you to tell me about is, which I think is so awesome too, because the movie was so great, Perfume, the story of a murderer. So you created sense for the book, right? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I read the book and I always told myself the day I'm a perfumer, when I started perfumery, I said the day I will know how to create perfumes, I'm going to do the smell for this book because of course this book oh. was so magical. Yeah. And so I started perfumery in uh, 94, till 97 it was the school. And then in 98, 99, I started to do those fragrances. And uh, so like, voila, totally artistic. One thing I did not mention, uh, Frauke, is that when you create for the air, it's actually pure art because well, you need the air to breathe. So you cannot go less than that. You cannot breathe in the, vac in the vacuum, but you just need the air. But the air has no uh, requirements. Already when you make a fragrance for alcohol and then you put that on your skin, it has many more requirements at many levels, performance, technical. Uh, so in fact, when you do a, cre a creation for the air, you have much more artistic uh, freedom. People don't realize that. And people only know the, the, the stupid plugins at the store that smell like the toilet. And so they don't understand there is a whole art form for the air that they should be accustomed to. And so here I created these things, some for the air, some for skin, some for uh, like a pomade. And then when I was ready, it was more in 2000, 2000, 2000, no, in 2004, when we heard they were going to shoot a movie, uh, actually IFF uh, approached Mugler. And at the time I was with Christopher Hornet, so he, were, he had been helping me on this project and he also created a few. And Mugler said right away, yes, Ferrastrobi. Huh? She said, that's fabulous. And so we did a limited edition because it's not a commercial project. Perfume industry is not used to launch per projects like that forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how it uh, started. Wait, can you buy it? Can you buy the? No, you could at the time, but they all sold. Okay, so it all sold out. While, I, uh, yeah, they're all like, uh, yeah, no, no, you can buy it. But once in a while, you do have at least one little flacon showing up on the internet, on eBay. Oh, on eBay, somebody's selling So if people it. check regularly, they can find them, yeah. All right, so there's just one last thing that I want to do because we're at the end of the interview. Thank you so much. I one last thing I do with all my guests is I have them answer three simple questions. Well, I think they're simple, but they're probably uh, more complex for you. But it gives me a little insight into your personality. So I want to start with the first question. So right now, today, because I'm sure it changes often, but what's your favorite smell right now? It's funny you're asking. It's actually the, the scent. It's a true story, the scent that uh, I'm creating. It's almost finished for Amanda Lepore. That's going to come out hopefully in a few months uh, in the zoo for Amanda Lepore. And I'm actually wearing it. <laughs> and in fact, I just noticed that if a guy wears it, it fits totally a guy. And I thought I would never wear this scent. I was just wearing it to try it and to finish it. And it's really not my style of scent. And in fact, by wearing it, I said, you know what? This is actually really sexy for a guy too, because there's a very masculine structure in that uh, fragrance because she's a transsexual. She was a guy, now she's a woman, but she's still very strong. And uh, 
uh, yeah, so I've, uh, I didn't start with a feminine structure at all, you know, typical. And, uh, and so that's the smell uh, I'm enjoying at the moment. That's the fragrance Good. actually I'm enjoying at the moment. And it's like pumping in my nose. <laughs> the whole we're talking day. as we're speaking. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So do you have any favorite scent memory that you can share with us? Do you have a, you've experienced scent your whole life. So for you, scent is such a big part no, of it. No, I'm always, 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 fascinated by the smell i say that to everybody the smell of ste white steamed white rice interesting I, I don't know why that smell is just is i don't know why i really love that but there are many smells i love i love saffron <clears throat> but um i love that smell since i'm a kid always 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 the smell of and saffron just pure it's a smell it's very hard to do Steamed white rice, not basmati. Oh, basmati white rice. You're cheating. Okay. Yeah, basmati, it's a roasted or whatever. No, you know, you open the, the, the rice cooker the when you do it by hand in the kitchen. It's soft, it's sweet, but it's not sweet. It's warm and it's just white, but it's, I don't know. I love that smell. <laughs> Good. Well, there are many, many smells I remember and that I like, actually. Many, many, many. So the, you know what I like also that people never mention is the smell of rotten wood. Uh, you know, when you, you cut a tree and then you have a piece of the stump that stays in the ground, the, the piece yeah. of tree that stays, and yeah. then it rottens. Yeah. And you scratch that. It's like so moist and mushroomy and woody. And oh, I love that Ooh, smell. I I'm going to have to scratch the stumps from now on. I have never even the thought rotten, of The rotten, because it's rotten, <laughs> but it doesn't smell of rotten. It is a lovely, lovely, woody, mushroomy. I love the smell of mushroom too. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, a lot of things that I love, I don't know why. A lot of things that I hate, uh, sometimes I know, but things that I love, I many, I don't know where it came from. All right, and last question. What would you say are five smells that best describe you? Ah, uh, to describe me? Uh, you can't see him right now, but he's smiling. He's thinking. Yeah, because it's a cute question. No, because the first thing I, I, I thought is like white, and then I say coconut, and I mean, no, I'm not a coconut guy. So that's why I was smiling. <laughs> but I do love coconut, but I'm not a coconut guy. Uh, I certainly love the smell of patchouli. Uh, from to describe me, patchouli, saffron, cardamom, uh, oris, oris starchy. So that's really creamy, but it's not sweet. I'm not a pudding guy. And then, uh, but how many did I say already? Four or five? I love those smells, and uh, I love cinnamon also. Okay. That's to describe me, yes, cinnamon is colorful, spicy, but gentle and sweet. And actually that fits me well. And saffron the same. Yeah, and patchouli is loud, but strong. And I love patchouli, I don't know why. Wonderful. So now we need to make a Christophe Laudamiel perfume out of those five. Ah, oh, well, no, but you need a little bit more than that, but uh, <laughs> you need something modern. You see, you notice I didn't mention something fresh modern because it's not just me because I'm very, I'm very full, <laughs> but you would have to have something quirky, of course. Okay. Thank you, Christophe. Fabulous. Thank I you so really much. thank you so much for doing this with me. No problem. Thank you for spreading the education about perfumery and everything. Wow. I could talk to Christophe for hours. 
He's got so much knowledge and passion about perfumery. And I'm so grateful for the time he gave me out of his busy schedule so I could share all of that knowledge and passion with you. I've got lots of the information we talked about, including links to Christoph's many works in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And remember to follow him on Instagram so you can find out about any artistic creations he has coming up. Right now, as always, I wanted to do a really quick wrap up. Let's just take a minute to reflect on what we can take away from this conversation. For me, I think one of the biggest takeaways is to really appreciate perfumery as an art, and especially to appreciate its artists, the perfumers. I think we take perfumery for granted. In fact, I agree with Christoph that as a society, we don't think about perfumery much at all. It's been this secret industry for so long, and so why not bring it into the forefront more and reveal the beauty that it has to offer? I want to invite you to celebrate perfumery and to bring it into the conversation more. Because let's be honest, for me, perfumery is all about harnessing that beautiful sense we have, our sense of smell. It's all about making visceral connections with feelings and emotions. No other sense lets you do that so deeply. But also, perfumery is a medium that lets you connect with an artist, specifically the perfumer, in a really different and unique way. Very different to how you might connect with a musician, a painter, and even a chef. So I hope this two-part series gave you a better understanding of perfumery. Maybe you learned some new things. Maybe it made you think about things a little differently or in a new way. I think Christoph is a great person to spur conversation and to make us think about things more. What did you find most interesting? I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode. So send me a voicemail. Let me know your thoughts. It's really easy to do it. There's a link right in the show notes, which you can just click on and it'll take you to where you can leave me a voicemail. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.